0: From 87, Lafayette. It's CoronaPod. I'm Matt. And I'm Adam. <laughs> oh my god. Ay,
1: ay ay Adam. This is just It's bad. It's bad. This is but bad. Let me tell you why I'm distracted. Now, this happened on two days ago now. However, it's just absolutely insane and I can't believe we didn't talk about it yesterday. So New York City. The USF's Comfort was just sent to New York City, and it's a right. hospital ship. Yes. A thousand beds, some issues with crowding and not social distancing when it arrived. It was kind of one of the few positive things, so lots of people went to look at it. Since then, due to a bureaucratic mess, it has three patients right now. So, really? thousand I that, didn't know that. People are dying in hospital hallways right now, but the, the USS Comfort has three patients, and, and that's for a variety of reasons. The big one is, the idea was, let's take people who aren't suffering from coronavirus and move them into this hospital, right, this hospital ship, so that the, the actual hospitals can just focus on coronavirus victims, right? So if someone gets hit by a car or gets shot, send them to the USS, USS Comfort. The problem is, essentially, that because of social distancing, there aren't many injuries like that. And in fact, if you look at what people are projecting for mortality writ large, the mortality rate will probably decline during 2020 (laughs) because dumb men between the ages of 15 and 30 aren't getting killed the same rate that they normally do, right? Like Mm. we are in the prime age group of just terrible decision-making and ending up dead. And it's really hard to end up dead when like you can't leave the house. So sorry, going back to why I was distracted though. So bureaucratic mess no one's actually on this ship but there's a sister ship so in the Los Angeles, right? called the uss mercy right comfort mercy okay mercy currently has 15 patients on it so again wow. similar issues with the te- the protocol is just insane like if you want to go to the uss comfort you have to go to a hospital you have to fill out a long list of shit at the hospital then you have to get tested for coronavirus and then you can go in the same ambulance back to the USS Comfort. So the USS Comfort, no coronavirus victim, no coronavirus patients, that's why no one's on it. Anyway, USS Mercy in L.A. docked at the port of L.A., and what is insane to me is that there was a train engineer, so engineer being the person who drives the train, Mm -hmm. who said that they thought that the USS Mercy was suspicious and part of a government takeover plot, among other... Conspiracy theories and drove their train as close as they could get to the USS Mercy. And okay, but the idea of driving a train to me is a little like there are tracks. Exactly. And this guy went off the tracks. And what basically how it works is there's um, an. There's, he went off the rails. He went, like off, the he rails. went off the rails. He went off yeah. the rails. So there's there's an end to the train tracks, right? Mm-hmm. And normally there there's a big concrete block to yeah, stop. Yeah, seen that
0: there. at Grand Central.
1: Yeah, so he went straight through that, and then traveled I think another 200 feet at the USS Mercy across essentially like a big concrete parking lot through some chain link fences and things, but if you are going full speed, that block at the end of the train is not going to stop you. And he basically aimed for the ship and tried to get there. He came well, well short. But it is just one of those what-the-hell-just-happened
0: stories. Yeah, I think I saw the news alert for this earlier today, and I sort of glanced at my phone, and I was like, what? And it just seemed like one of those things that when I think about it later, I'll be like, oh, is that some weird dream? Very
1: bizarre stuff happening. And around April Fool's, right? Obviously, no April Fool's Day jokes this year, right?
0: Yeah, I really, yeah, I I didn't even remember that it was April
1: Fool's. And honestly, there will be no senior pranks. That's the other sad thing, right? Like, senior year is when you get the, three, the two pigs and you label the pigs number two and number three, so the administration <laughs> is looking for pig number one.
0: Is that something you did in? Uh, in yeah, the on the or
1: on the Upper East Side of uh, New York City, at <laughs> my at my at uh, Hunter College High School, greatest public high school in the country. We did not. No. I I do think it could be
0: good for us to start doing some pranks around the apartment, though. You know, could could liven it up a little bit. We have been. A little lax with our distract us from work things. You know, the noon dance routine was more of a one-time thing. We should bring that back. We should bring it back. We should. We should. But speaking of pranks, I think it's time that we call our guests because I don't know if they're expecting us. I think it's a prank call. Effectively, I think it is. Let's call them.
1: Welcome to Coronapod. Hey, welcome. Sorry? Welcome to Coronapod. Great to have you on the show. Oh,
2: hello. Um, I'm I'm a time
1: fan. We're happy to have you. Uh, We we really can go in whatever direction you'd like to talk about. We can talk about Coronapod. We can talk about COVID-19 and international relations. We can talk about international relations writ large. We can talk about Massachusetts versus New York. What, uh, what floats your boat? Hey, but first, I think we should tell our listeners, who the hell did we just call? That's true. I talk to this man every day. Would you like to introduce yourself?
2: Um, sure. I am Adam supervisee. My name is Philip. I am an AC1 in the New York office of Bain & Company, um, and usually a New Yorker for the last six months, but currently holed up in my parents' place in a lovely Boston suburb.
1: And I should say, it was, it was rude of me, I texted Phil and said, hey, we need to talk about work for five to ten minutes, but this is not work, this is fun, so let's make it fun. Phil, what do you want to talk
2: about? Well, why don't you, let's, let's head in the international relations direction, that's more or less my, my wheelhouse, to the extent I have a wheelhouse. Any, anything in particular there that seems interesting
1: to you? So I think the the one thing that I've heard, and I want you to tell me like if this matters or if I am completely barking up the wrong tree and there are more important things is there are the border closings are violations of a number of international like treaties, right? That have to do with like in the same way like people signed the Geneva Conventions about torture, people have signed all sorts of other conventions and treaties about closing their borders. And when everyone closed their borders, all of that was immediately violated so is that is that just show you that kind of like international law and all of these things are like for human rights or whatever is like complete bullshit and like when push comes to shove no one cares or what should i take away from this or like it, it, it was a stressful time people weren't paying attention to it so
2: so my my general sense is that international law has some role but thinking of it as law like something you would learning law school and gets litigated in the courts is kind of a crazy way to view it because, I mean, nobody has a monopoly on force among states, for example. There isn't a super state despite, you know, which which in order to have a legal structure, you need that. So, yeah, they never have been and never will be, I think, at least within our lifetimes, anything like legal, having anything like legal force uh, does domestically. And, you know, I think if we come out of this with, with the Fourth Amendment intact, we're going to end up looking pretty good. Coming out of this with the technical compliance with sub-articles of the International Health Regulations intact um, is, is, I think, entirely implausible at this point.
0: Got All it. right, I want to pause there, because you said, if we come out of this with the Fourth Amendment intact, I feel like there is a lot to unpack there. <laughs> uh, why, don't you, why don't you say something? And I will warn you, we do have a lawyer... Uh, that we are texting right now to make sure anything you say is not full of shit. I mean, the question ultimately becomes, I
2: think, um, the question of domestic travel um, and whether or not domestic travel ends up restricted in some way or another before the end of this, Um, where the, the two issues that I think are constitutionally relevant is interstate commerce and whether states have any power to ban this. And then generally, unreasonable search and seizure, this was the thing that was flagged, at least in the media, when uh, the governor of Rhode Island started uh, pulling over people who were coming with New York license plates. Um, and, which is, I don't, I don't have a position, I don't frankly know whether or not that is violation of unreasonable search and seizure. I, I do think it's actually not a crazy, crazy policy, um, which we can get into, but I, I don't have a constitutional view on it. But if we're getting to the point where people are starting to think about restricting domestic travel, you know, for certain international travel, is any legal potential obstacle that has pretty much entirely gone out the window.
1: So, so let me let me respond to those two things, and then let's uh, let then let's throw this back into your wheelhouse and talk about how this might be changing international relations. To your point about the Fourth Amendment and stopping people, my understanding here is that you are absolutely allowed to stop people with a New York State license plate. Like that can be something that. You know, Rhode Island wants to do in terms of what is admissible in a court. For example, they stop you because you have a New York license plate. I'm
3: gonna, I'm gonna interject here. Hi, Phil.
1: Oh my
0: Hi. God! Oh, we
3: got
1: her. The lawyer was not on
3: text.
0: Psych. We've right No, the right lawyer, here. the
3: lawyer was texting uh, the moment that international law was implicated. Hi, Phil. This is Catherine. Welcome
0: to
1: the podcast, Catherine.
3: I'm so mad. Phil, I just yeah.
1: want to say you were the honeypot to get Catherine on the podcast. Thank you so much. Um, is,
3: this is, is just the an first amazing frame. i prank. The honeypot, but I don't hate it. Wow, I feel like we have so much to unpack here. Um, let's go in reverse order. Get away, Catherine. So, the first thing that I'd like to say is that the reason that there is.
1: Unfortunately, at the behest of the United States federal
2: judiciary, we were only able to talk about international law. Needless to say, if you are interested in understanding about Fourth Amendment violations concerning these things, you should listen to
1: our hopefully future episode with Scott Stern,
2: where he speaks quite knowledgeably. Now back to your regular
1: scheduled programming.
3: But what really got me was your comments about international law, because clearly Adam was just running his mouth. Um, about what international law obligations states have incurred with respect to keeping their borders open, but also what the implications of violating any such obligation uh, would be. And so international law has not only obligations, but justifications for violation of obligations. And so simply because something violates an obligation doesn't mean that it's internationally unlawful. Similarly, just because, uh, let's, let's think about someone out in the public, right, who is being attacked by another individual, right? If you're being attacked by another individual, we all recognize that there are certain prohibitions on uh, using deadly force. But if you're facing a fatal threat from another person, notwithstanding the prohibition, the, the criminalization of murder, you can, in some circumstances, kill the person who's attacking you. And so that doesn't mean that you haven't violated the prohibition on murder. What that means is that the murder was justified. right? So that, that concept of justification, self-defense, justification, is applicable also in certain cases of necessity. And so even if there's an obligation that you not close your borders to other states, um, the necessity justification here arguably would warrant it making such a closure not internationally unlawful. Um, and so, like, international law, as with essentially any form of law, has um, some amount of flexibility built into it.
0: Wow, wow. that <laughs> was a lot.
3: I think we I, got a
0: lot to unpack, think- but
1: you know. I think wow. well. Thank you, Catherine, for jumping in here, Phil. Yeah, I just you, like Catherine. to say, Phil, you raised three points. Catherine touched on all three points, but what you said was was uh, maybe not the the most accurate, or what I said wasn't the most accurate.
2: It was not accurate.
1: But the the intent and the effects were correct, right? Like we, you raised the right points. You said it was interstate commerce and Fourth Amendment, and that was what was relevant. So. I think. I, I mean, mean good she, job. we good job. you carefully brought up the things that got Catherine excited, and um, yeah, so so good work there. Let's move on to international relations. How do you think COVID nineteen yeah. has re- changed international relations? Is globalism dead? Is it back? So,
2: so one one point on international law before we move on to international relations at large is. It- you can have a legal conversation about it, but there also is a IR conversation, a, a power conversation around it. And since having watched, been a big fan of Franklin and Bash at middle school, I know that precedents are part of the law. The precedent I would bring up is the uh, is the permanent court of, court of arbitration Philippines precedent, where the Philippines took uh, China to, which is, Philippines, China are both signatories to the UN Conventional Law and the Sea. The Philippines took China to the permanent court of arbitration, which is, is something that exists in the hague like many random international organizations and won the case saying china's i think occupation or at least China's nine dash line their claims in the south china sea were in violation of the united nations convention to which both parties are signatories. the chinese just then ignored it like of course they ignored it they don't think it's in violation and nobody can make them do anything about it the chinese have been according to a court they're signed up to under a convention they've signed up to, been held in violation and not a justified violation, and they're ignoring it as entirely diplomatic, not legal. So my sense on international law is, well, first of all, it generally depends on the national order, which we can touch on more in a moment, I think is going to be weakened, certainly not strengthened by this. But even within that order, people can generally ignore almost whatever they want. The United States, which isn't a signatory to the ICC, isn't a signatory that the UO oh, hasn't ratified the UN LOS, law of the sea and so on and so forth gets to ignore more of it than everyone else without anyone complaining too much, or at least has for the past few decades. But it's it's a patchier area than than law school might necessarily make it seem. Just to just to bring things back away from you know the school I didn't go to to somewhere where I can at least pretend to have expertise. Um, moving on to the question of international relations writ large, I think it's still early. Um. Certainly anything we call international order is going to be weakened. Certainly countries, tensions between countries are going to rise. Um, The areas, the two places where I would look for that, maybe three places I would look for that first are um, number one, uh, Asia, East Asia and the Pacific. Number two, um, Europe and the EU, and then number three, really the developing world. Um, In East Asia and the Pacific, There are, I think, real questions as to the balance of power there, in particular to China, the U.S.-China relationship, which is going to be hurt by this. Um, We can discuss whether or not it's fair to hold the Chinese at fault to it. I have a particular view on that. But I think it's fair to say, regardless, that the United States political discourse, the Chinese will be held at fault for this virus and for what's happened with it. And that's part of what's already been a uh, beginning of heightening tensions over the past probably five to six years that will continue and change the dynamics there, and that's gonna happen if nothing else goes wrong. The other thing that can happen, and may happen, is it's possible that the government in Beijing may decide that this is a time to make more aggressive actions against Taiwan in particular, um, while the world's distracted. Um, I don't know if you've seen it or not, but one of the large coronavirus outbreaks in the United States on the USS Teddy Roosevelt, which is, I believe, our only, or one of our two only aircraft carriers in the Pacific, for example, um, and now would be a particularly bad time the United States have to come to its, not treaty, but uh, semi-political, semi-legal, complicated obligations to maintain the preparations that Taiwan. So that could become, potentially, come this summer, another crisis out of the blue that, that no one in the general public is expecting. Um, in Europe, I think it's already clear that this is weakened the European Union. Um, certainly the idea of, of pan european solidarity has been weaken incredibly hard, and probably mostly in Spain and Italy, which are southern European countries already hard hit by the euro crisis, but there's already a sort of resentment of German primacy or German hegemony, and where this is likely to strengthen the, the parties of the far left and the far right, respectively, um, who, who are by and large anti-European. And then that's, that's potentially going to be the case in France, in France as well, I think probably not in Germany. Um, and if people sort of don't feel they could have depended upon European solidarity, could have depended upon the EU in this moment. That combined with an existing sort of sense of resentment, um, combined with generally a turn against open borders, which I think is entirely possible, although it's really early to predict, all of that is likely to be sort of bad news for the EU in a world that already, with, with, Russia's, with Russia's provocations on the borders and with the rising economic and, and its political influence role of China, is becoming more hostile. To both you and the values, and the values that it holds. The last thing, and in some ways, the really scary story among scary stories here is what's going to happen in uh, what's labeled the emerging world, in the developing world, in the third world. Although I suppose that's considered a dated term, um, which is they don't have the public health systems. They the virus is should be believed is spreading there. They don't have the public health systems or infrastructure to respond, um, and they don't have the level of social capital or stability in many of those societies, this is now broad brushstrokes, um, to be able to weather this um, in the way that I think ultimately, as as tragic and horrific as this is going to be, certainly the West and Japan and South Korea and Taiwan are going to be able to. Um, That's going to be, I think, messy, messy before it's all said and done, but particularly messy potentially on the already... um, politically charged borders between, between Europe and the Middle East and Africa um, and between the United States and potentially Mexico, where we've already seen in Mexico that the Mexican president, AMLO, has refused to do real social distancing. The virus is likely, and this was unclear two weeks ago, we now believe it's probably not seasonal. The virus is likely to spread quite dramatically there. And if we get to a point in July where the, the epidemic in the United States is under some level of control but it's not in Mexico. What that means for already, as you know, a heavily militarized and politically charged border is difficult to predict, but it's unlikely to be particularly pretty. Um, likewise, the Mediterranean and the border between Turkey and Turkey and Greece and Europe has already been, as you know, an incredibly dangerous, incredibly politically charged and real, relatively loaded issue in Italy and Greece and Spain and so on, and Germany as well. Um, if the virus in general has outbreaks throughout Africa and the Middle East, that's going to get messy. Particularly could get messy if that gets combined with a new refugee surge coming out of the Assad regime offensive in Idlib, which it looks like from all the indications I've seen, which aren't that many, but are some, is being stepped up right now. So lots unpacked there. I know I just dumped a lot on here, but that's probably the three biggest IR storylines that I'd watch is the, the US-China relationship, especially as it relates to Taiwan, potentially the sort of weakening of the European Union and then watching this all play out in the borderlands between the developed and the developing world.
1: Well, Phil, thank you so much. I mean, our podcast has always been so optimistic about how coronavirus is really just bringing us together and, uh, you know like the uh governor of texas we believe that you know the loss of life uh doesn't matter when we think about you know how great it is to all hang out as a family but you've really uh you know taken an otherwise very happy situation um and uh really sobered it up for us so thank you for uh giving us some spots to watch and uh telling us that it's not just shitty in the united states and it's not just shitty in italy but uh it's going to get really bad between uh, everybody, too. So th- thank you for that. Thank you for uh, participating. And uh, uh, I'll, uh, I'll Skype you tomorrow morning when it's time for our uh, morning check-in. Thanks, Bill. I think I
2: have a slide to make between now and then. I appreciate the ambush. Feel feel free to have me on anytime if you want doom and gloom about the nuclear powers.
1: <laughs> Sounds great. Have a great night. Bye. Bye. Well, we got a
0: lot to think about.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm already trying to deal with this text message Catherine just sent me, which is, Adam, what you just said is not a correct articulation of international law. You're an idiot. Genuinely pissed. So not only do our listeners have to unpack that, but uh, I might be on the couch.
0: Mm, Well, good thing we have a pretty roomy couch here. I will say to our listeners, whatever you heard us said, uh, we are not experts. Phil... He's good at making himself sound like an expert. TBDV's actually an expert. I'm not sure. And so, as always, take everything on this podcast with a big grain of salt. But, you know, Adam, the whole time I could not stop thinking about what we were talking about before. This guy who drove the train into the damn hospital ship. I just can't get over that. It feels like things, you know, borderlands, Europe, China, all crazy stuff but it's also like the little things like that that seem to be kind of going a little cuckoo people are snapping absolutely well adam i'm pretty excited to continue our podcast tomorrow i think maybe we should plan a little more effectively what we're going to talk about and so listeners we'll see you tomorrow with a plan This has been Coronapod, thanks for listening, and until next time, stay healthy,
1: and fill out the damn census!
2: Coronapod
0: is brought to you by Momo the Cat. Follow her at Momo underscore is underscore a underscore cat